Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me in the Betters Box. This is ATS.io's MLB betting podcast for Thursday, July 15th. I'm your host, Adam Burke, reminding you to check out the daily article every day over at ATS.io. Got that posted here for today. Some quick bullet point thoughts on the Red Sox and Yankees game coming up tonight. Then also some of my thoughts on the second half. A lot of the same stuff that I'll be talking about here on today's edition of the podcast Make sure you download the ATS app, which you can find in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store. It's a bet tracker, an odd screen, a stats database, full article integration from the website, all kinds of good stuff in that ATS app. So you can download that for your Android or iOS devices from the Google Play Store or from the Apple Store. Other content over at ATS.io this week. Got a, had a golf preview up for you. That tournament, of course, first round pretty much over now across the pond put together my college football power ratings for this week, my first edition for July. So you can check that out over at the website to go along with a couple of articles about some college football season win total bets, both looking at overs and unders. Some of my favorite plays based on my projections, based on my numbers. So you can check that out over at ATS.io as well. I'll have a UFC preview for this weekend, already have up a NASCAR preview for this weekend. So lots of good stuff going on for you to check out over there at ATS.io. So with that, let's just talk in general here about the second half of the Major League Baseball season. Some of the things I talked about a little bit on Monday in passing, but some things I want to go a little bit more in detail with here on today's show. Then we'll talk about some futures that I'm looking at, some adjusted season win totals as promised, and then preview the weekend ahead here as Major League Baseball comes back with the start of the second half. And First and foremost, the biggest thing with regards to the second half to keep in mind is the Major League Baseball trade deadline because that's just 16 days away now. And the trade deadline has a significant impact on a lot of different things around the league. First of all, for buyers, obviously they get better. They fill needs. They improve usually in the bullpen. Maybe get some more starting pitching depth, some more bench depth, something like that. There will be some starting level players like a Chris Bryant, possibly a Freddie Freeman, Other guys like that, Cesar Hernandez from the Indians, guys like that that could wind up switching teams, wind up being impact players. But a lot of times teams are just adding to their depth. And depth is very important here for this season with the rash of injuries and, of course, pitchers working higher workloads than they previously had over the last, uh, you know, what, 18 months here or so with that COVID-shortened season. So depth will be very important. The buyers will get better. And, you know, we know who the buyers are at this point in time. When I look at the American League, I think there are five playoff teams, and I think that's pretty much it. And when I look at the National League, things are maybe a little more wide open, but there will be three playoff teams from the National League West. So we know who the buyers are going to be for the most part. Now, when we look at the sellers and sort of the thought process behind all of that, look, it's not easy to be a seller, especially if you're kind of a pseudo contending team or something like that where these teams, you know, they go into the season with expectations and the reality that they're going to fall short of those expectations can have a negative impact on the season. And certainly it will have a negative impact in the short term as those players wind up getting traded. Now, the obvious sellers here are teams like the Cubs, uh, are teams that are, you know, bottom feeders, the Royals, the Pirates, all those different kinds of things. But when you look at the emotions behind being a seller, right? Look at the Chicago Cubs, for example. They got their World Series in 2016. 
But now their core group is kind of falling apart here. You know, the ownership group kind of, you know, complaining about not having money, about the COVID shortened season, no attendance, all of that. So their position players, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, and Javier Baez, two of them, they probably would have had the chance to extend, but unable to do that coming into the season, you wonder how many of those guys will hang around. And if nothing else, they'll at least listen on the free agent market. So the Cubs are a team that, Look, they've already told everybody, look, we're going to be sellers. And we know that Chris Bryant will go because there's no chance that they re-sign him. But this is a Cubs team now that for the next 16 days is on pins and needles. You know, when do these guys get traded? When does that trade market kind of set up a little bit? Because you get those initial trades that set the market. You know, what are rental starting pitchers worth? What are rental hitters worth? And obviously there are different degrees of talent to that group of players, but there's going to be a deal that winds up setting the market here at some point. Somebody's going to go out there, make a trade, and that's going to be kind of the going rate, the currency, so to speak, to acquire players. So are the Cubs going to try and set this market? Are the Cubs going to try and get some teams to buy a little bit higher? You know, there are a lot of teams, contenders, that could use a Chris Bryant, that could use an Anthony Rizzo, that could use a Javier Baez, an upgraded shortstop, something like that. So that's what you're kind of looking for now is, is who kind of sets that market. And in the meantime, those teams that are well-defined sellers sort of sitting on pins and needles, you know, the business of baseball, everybody talks about it being the business of baseball, having been through it before and all of that. But the reality is when your friends and teammates get traded, it's tough. You know, it's a very difficult thing, not only professionally because it signals you know, the end of your competitive nature for this season, but just personally. You know, a lot of these guys kind of growing up together. You think about Rizzo and Bryant coming up through the system together and all of that. It's a very difficult thing for a lot of players to compartmentalize. And that will have an impact generally on their performance and on the team's performance as a whole. So these next two weeks are a little bit dicey in that regard in terms of teams that will be making trades specifically of tenured players. You know, maybe the Twins opt to move a Nelson Cruz to an AL contender, you know, something like that. So these are things that can have an impact on a team's performance, on a team's uh, you know, effort level, on a team's engagement level, and all of that. So that is something that we do need to factor into the equation here as we handicap the rest of this month of July. And of course, there is the waiver trade deadline. That's kind of an altogether different animal in the month of August. But the traditional trade deadline is really what we're looking at here uh, for the rest of this month of July. Now, as we look down the line, and maybe this is something that even happens here after the All-Star break, prospects, right? Last year, 60 games at the MLB level, the alternate training site with the 60-player pool, but no minor league season. So you're going to have a lot of teams that traditionally would have called up guys in September, and maybe they won't now because they'll be worried about protecting those players, protecting those arms, making sure you don't have you know some sort of injury that takes a player from preparing for a season to rehabbing for a season. So that's something I'll be very curious to watch. How teams handle their prospects, how teams deal with maybe innings limits. Do we see more six-man rotations? Do we see kind of piggyback scenarios where maybe pitchers get limited to 65, 70 pitches, throw three, four innings, something like that? You know, I'll be really curious to see how teams start to handle this. And furthermore, if teams are upfront about their plans, are teams going to say, look, you know, 
like the Tigers, for example, right? I do lean with the Tigers season win total over, but the Tigers, right? Casey Mize, Tarek Skubal, Matt Manning. They already have some guys like Alex Fado that are hurt in their minor league system. So do they maybe cap a Casey Mize at 140 innings or 130 innings or something like that? Do they do the same with Tarek Skubal? What do teams like the Tigers do with these young arms? Will the Mariners, you know, kind of cap Logan Gilbert at some point? I think it's definitely a possibility. So that's something that maybe down the line, we have to concern ourselves with a little bit more. But if you are looking at these adjusted season win total markets, something like that, this is something that you absolutely have to keep in mind. You know, how will teams handle these guys once the month of September rolls around to where, you know, look, maybe that's a time that in the past, prospects would have thrived in September with those call-ups. Now, you know, they may make one or two starts, you know, may not pitch at all, maybe capped at 60 pitches, right? And if starters start getting capped, well, that puts some extra strain on the bullpen. And that will have an impact on full game betting, both sides and totals. So that's something you'll want to keep in mind, kind of see what these teams plan to do, kind of read either between the lines or just outright read the quotes from the GM, the manager, all of that, just to see if these teams kind of give us an indication as to their plans for the second half. And then lastly here, not necessarily related to betting on baseball, but it does seem as though Major League Baseball and the Players Association are already starting to discuss the upcoming CBA. Now, I'm pretty pessimistic about the whole thing in general. Uh, you know, we saw Pete Alonso's comments when they started to you know, crack down on foreign substances about how Major League Baseball manipulates the rules and the policies based on the free agent groups and all of that. So we'll see what happens with all of this. But the Players Association and the league already seem to be talking about the CBA. Rob Manfred during the All-Star break talking about you know, really some of the leverage points that, that both sides have. The seven-inning doubleheader, the runner on second and extra innings, you know, universal DH, maybe an expansion of the playoffs, all of that banning the shift. Rob Manfred was discussing those things during the All-Star break. So these both sides are starting to show their hands a little bit here. And maybe that does mean that we won't wind up with a labor stoppage. And there's a lot of money at stake. So maybe the two sides do come to an agreement and you know there will be concessions made on both sides. But that is something I think is worth following here in the second half. I don't know if it will have any impact between the lines necessarily if teams will expect, you know, some sort of labor stoppage or, you know, maybe bring up prospects to get that service time clock going because they anticipate losing a year of control, something like that. We'll see what happens with all of it, but at least it does appear that the two sides have started to go to the table and maybe we won't wind up with a strike for the 2022 season. All right. So let's take a look at some second half futures plays that I'm taking a look at here. And these are Pretty widely available numbers for the most part. As always, I will preface this by saying shop around for the best price. The last thing you want to do is take the White Sox at 8-1 to one when there's a 10-1 to one out there. Or the Reds at plus 450 to win the Central when 5 or 550 are out there. Shop around for the best prices. And yes, this may mean having accounts at multiple sports books. And, you know, look, if you don't want to spread your bankroll that thin, Completely understand that, but also keep in mind that getting the best of the number gives you the most options. Not only does it give you the biggest possible payout, but it also gives you the most hedging opportunities. So 
again, it is something that's very important to get in the practice of if you're able to do it, if your bankroll size allows you to do that. If not at, at present, well, think about it for the future. You know, think about how you want to structure your bankroll so that you can be spread out at multiple places and get the best of the numbers that you possibly can. And hey, look, we're, what, I, I think the college football season starts in six weeks in a couple days, something like that. So, you know, if you can get a plus seven in a book instead of plus six and a half, that's really important. Or a minus six and a half instead of a minus seven. That's really important. So it is definitely in your best interest to have as many sports books at your disposal as possible. And we do have sportsbook reviews over at ATS.io. We've got exclusive sign-up bonuses for our readers as well. So check into those things. Maybe now is the time to start kind of positioning yourself to be able to shop around for the best prices, not only for the remainder of the baseball season, but also for the upcoming football seasons. It's really important. I mean, this stuff is, it, I, I know it's not the easiest thing to do to keep all of these things organized and all of that, but, you know, think about it. I mean, uh, a lot of people maybe in the credit card points game, you know, if, if you get 3X dining points on one card versus 2X, you're always using that 3X card. You know, if you get, 3x travel on one card instead of 1.5x travel or cash back or something like that. You know, you've got a lot of different credit cards at your disposal to try and maximize your return. Well, you do the same thing with sports books. Try to maximize your return by having multiple outs so that you can bet the best prices. It's a really, really important thing to do. So, like for example, I don't know if there's anywhere in the US markets, the widely available US markets, with better than eight to one on the White Sox. I have seen 10 to 1 uh, at the Superbook out in Las Vegas. But the White Sox for a World Series future do make some sense here. Now, there are two schools of thought. You can take the futures price at 8 to 1, or you can wait and do a money line rollover once the playoffs actually get here. And the profit potential for a money line rollover likely to be higher than 8 to 1, due in large part to the fact that the White Sox could potentially run into the Dodgers in the World Series. But as I look at this here, I'm not sure that I would make Chicago a dog to anybody except for Houston in the American League. I think they're better than the Red Sox. I think you could make a strong case that they're better than the Rays, certainly better than the Yankees or the Blue Jays at this point in time. So I do think that they will be a favorite, you know, in their first round matchup at a minimum, potentially a favorite in the second round. And then of course, if they get to the World Series, they would be a dog to the Dodgers. So I think that odds are this is pretty close to canceling out. If you want to make it easy, you can take the futures price just because you've got the built-in hedge right away. If you want to wait and see what the money line rollover looks like once the playoffs do come around, that is a possibility. But as I've talked about, and as I talked about on Monday's show, this team will win the AL Central. The Indians will get some pitching help back in Aaron Savale and Shane Bieber, but offensively, they're just still not very good. I don't think this team will make any kind of playoff push. The White Sox will win this division. So with that in mind, you can go ahead and take them from a World Series futures price, and you've got a team already in the playoffs with a live World Series future to the point where when they get there, I assume this is a lower price, especially if their offense gets healthier and Eloy Jimenez on a rehab assignment right now. They'll make some moves at the trade deadline, probably bolster the bullpen, maybe find another depth starter or something like that. They'll make some moves here at the trade deadline. So 
I think now is a good buy point for the White Sox because as they get closer, as they get closer to clinching that division, then this is a Chicago team whose futures price will come down. So I think in this eight to one range right now, they are worth a look. Yeah, I think maybe the money line rollover could be a little bit higher than that. But, you know, also we don't necessarily know that. You know, what happens if there is some sort of big upset in the National League playoffs or something like that to the point where the Dodgers, let's say they lose the wild card game. You know, well, maybe Chicago favored all the way through the playoffs at that point in time. So I think eight to one is a pretty decent look here. As I said, if you want to wait on the rollover, you can do that. But the biggest takeaway here, the primary takeaway that I'm trying to convey is that the White Sox are going to win that division. And if you're going to play a World Series future at this point in time, you want to virtually guarantee that team will win the division. You do not want to get into that wild card game. So the Reds are plus 450 to win the NL Central at DraftKings. There may be a better price out there, but I was just looking there because they have the adjusted second half win total numbers. Plus 450 to win the Central. They get the Brewers coming right out of the break. So that's a very important series right there. They are at home. If they win that series, gain another game, this price probably goes down to plus 375, plus 350, something like that. This is a partial hedge to me on my Brewers World Series ticket. I've got them at 55 to 1 prior to the season. So that was the thought process for me. I thought, okay, Milwaukee has a good chance at winning this division. The wild card will not come from this division. And if you win the division, you automatically go to the division series. So that's why I played Milwaukee, thinking that they could be the best of the bunch here in this central division. And to this point, they have been. Cincinnati is, to me, the only other team that could beat the Brewers for the National League Central. The Cubs are going to be fire sailing here this month. The Cardinals just aren't very good. And obviously, the Pirates are are several years away from hoping to be in contention. And they could be a big seller at the trade deadline as well. So Cincinnati here is the team that I think has the only chance of topping Milwaukee in that division. So I can do a hedge at this point in time on my Brewers World Series ticket. I could, if I wanted to, play Cincinnati now in that 55-60-1 to range to win the World Series, have both of those live with one of them live going into the playoffs, or I can just take this division price. The Reds' offense is very good. We all know that. The pitching staff can be good, and Luis Castillo has been very good of late. His resurgence is a good thing for the Reds. Really increases the projection of their starting rotation here. And the Brewers, look, they're not very good offensively, and they're very top-heavy in the pitching staff. They've got maybe the best one, two, three punch in baseball with Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, and Freddie Peralta. You've got Josh Hader and Devin Williams in the bullpen. But this is a team that's heavily reliant on those five guys. If any of them get hurt, that's a big problem for Milwaukee. So I'm not entirely sure what I'm going to do yet with this, uh, with my Brewers 55 to one ticket. I could play the Reds at 55 to one. I could just take the Reds to win the Central Division. Uh, Obviously, if you take one of these two teams from a World Series standpoint, pretty much an instant auto hedge. Now, the Brewers do have the pitching to beat anybody, they do have that. The Reds probably don't. They'd have to out-hit somebody. But again, if you're sitting there with 55-1 to 1 going into the World Series, that's a pretty good price point to be at. So trying to decide what, if anything, I want to do to hedge this Brewers ticket. But because these two teams play each other coming out of the All-Star break and the Reds are at home in that series, I think I may have to do something with it. 
And I'm not exactly sure what that is as of yet, but I still have a little bit of time to decide. A couple of leans here as well for a second half futures uh, ticket. The Mets to miss the playoffs is plus 265. Now, if you look at third order win percentage for the National League East, the Mets are actually the last place team. Third order win percentage and alternate standings metric that looks at you know a lot of expected run differentials and all of that, but also factors in strength of schedule. The Nationals, actually the top team in the National League East by third order win percentage. By base runs, they should be three games better than they are. So kind of a correlation here of Nationals plus 1,200 to win the East and Mets to miss the playoffs at plus 265. If one of those things happens, I think the other thing happens. So if the Mets miss the playoffs, I do think that it's the Nationals now that would be in the best position to win that division with the Braves not having Ronald Acuna Jr. So there's some correlation here. It's not a full-on parlay or anything like that, but I do think that there's some correlation that if you think the Mets miss the playoffs, the Nationals would be the team that should pick up the pace there. So Nationals at 12-1 to to win the East and Mets to miss the playoffs plus 265. A couple of things I'm looking at here. Again, shop around for the best prices on all of those things. But those are a couple of the options that I have here uh, before play begins in the second half. Let's take a look at some second half adjusted win totals. And I do feel stronger about these than I do dabbling in the futures market at this point in time. But I did want to throw out a lot of different possibilities for you here today on the show. The second half adjusted win total numbers, I've seen these at DraftKings. I'm not sure how many other sports books do have them posted. I'm sure there are some in the global markets for those that don't have access to the U.S. books. But here are a few that I'm looking at for a variety of different reasons. And the first one is the Seattle Mariners under 80 and a half. Now, I do believe I saw the market 82 and a half on this one, maybe 83 and a half even uh, when these first opened. And the market has bet this one down. I know it was at least 82 and a half, could have been higher than that. The market has bet this one down and you can understand why. And I've talked a lot about this Mariners team. I talked about them a lot on Monday's show. They're plus eight in Pythagorean win-loss. They're plus seven in base runs. They're plus, I think, nine, eight or nine in third-order win percentage. This team has gotten very lucky throughout the course of the season. The Mariners are 48 and 43. They have a minus 50 run differential on the season. They are sixth in weighted on base average with men in scoring position, but 30th in weighted on base average with the bases empty. So they are a big cluster luck team. That should regress to the mean. They're 19 and eight in one run games. That should regress to the mean. It's not like their bullpen is that good or anything like that. So Mariners under 80 and a half. And this is a tricky one because they are 48 and 43. But I think this is a team that really does fall off in a pretty significant way here in the second half. I know Julio Rodriguez is coming. I know Jared Kalenic is up already. I know Logan Gilbert is up already. But this is just a team that shouldn't be as good as it is. A lot of stats pointing towards negative regression for Seattle. So I am looking at the under 80 and a half with their season, with their adjusted, excuse me, season win total. Next up here is the Atlanta Braves under 82 and a half. And this one isn't really statistical or anything like that. This is more about personnel where Ronald Acuna Jr. now out for the rest of the year with that torn ACL. Freddie Freeman, Charlie Morton, Drew Smiley, Chris Martin, all impending free agents. Now, I don't know necessarily if Freeman gets moved, but 
Smiley could go if somebody wants to take on the five million or so he's still owed. Charlie Morton could, I think Charlie Morton definitely goes. I think some contender will very much want Charlie Morton. Maybe a reunion with the Tampa Bay Rays could be in order. I think that's a possibility. Those two teams actually play each other coming out of the all-star break, by the way. Uh, Chris Martin, a good bullpen piece. There will definitely be a team that wants to add him. I think it's in Atlanta's best interest to reshuffle the deck a little bit for 2022. Try to move these two starting pitchers. Find out what you've got in all of your minor league starters. Mike Soroka has already been shut down. Uh, Marcelo Zuna is still out with all of his legal issues. I just think the Braves are just, they're not in a particularly good spot here. And they've been relatively healthy throughout the first half of the season and still haven't played particularly well. Now their best player is out. Maybe their second or third best starter had a setback. I think the Braves are an under team here for the second half. They've been a good second half team. So maybe that's kind of keeping this number a little bit high. But I think that the Braves will run into some difficulties here. And also speaking of that correlation, if the Mets miss the playoffs, Nationals to win the East, I do like the Nationals over 78 and a half. The way it looks right now, they may only play five teams with a winning record going into the All-Star break here. So they have a very light schedule in the second half. Base runs has them with a positive run differential. Third order win percentage has them in first. They've got 12 left with Miami. They play Colorado for six games. They got to play the Pirates. They play this weak division. So Nationals over 78 and a half, kind of a correlation there with Braves under 82 and a half. And as I said, kind of looking at Nationals 12 to one to win the National League East there. Another under team for me, is the Texas Rangers under 66 and a half. I think they should trade Joey Gallo. I don't know if they do it, but I think they absolutely should because they're not contending next season either. They're well behind the Angels, well behind the Astros, well behind the A's. They're not a contending team next season either. So maybe they trade Gallo. They can get a a big offer for Gallo right now with the way that he's swinging the bat. Kyle Gibson is signed for one more year. Maybe they try to capitalize on the career year that he's having. They don't have a lot of trade currency otherwise, but when you look at their schedule for the second half, it looks as though they're going to play 17 different series against teams that are 500 or better at present. So the Rangers have a difficult schedule. They've already been bad, and they could end up trading two of their best players here in Gallo and Gibson. So under 66 and a half, it's a very low number. But I think this team could be in line for a very ugly second half, much like the ugly first half that they've already had. Lastly here, uh, a trio of leans. You know, the Tigers, I keep going back and forth on over 71 and a half. Look, they're 31 and 27 over their last 58 games after starting nine and 24. If they play at 500 the rest of the way, that'll give them about 75 wins. I think that is very doable. The question here is, How do they manage those pitcher workloads, as I previously mentioned? What do they do with Casey Mize, with Tarek Skubal, with Matt Manning? What do they do with these young arms? That's a big question. But as we go forward here, the offense has gotten a little bit better. You know, I think A.J. Hinch is a very good manager for this team. I think we've already seen his impact quite significantly. So I think the Tigers can be a pretty good team here in the second half. But as I said, a little bit worried about what they do with their pitcher workloads for guys like Mize, Scooble, and Manning. A couple other leans here. Cardinals under 80 and a half. I think this is just a down year for the Cardinals. They've only had one losing year since 2000, but no starting pitching right now. Jack Flaherty will probably be back 
but who knows when. Uh, they could make some trades here, kind of reshuffle the deck themselves as well. I just don't think that this team is, is super engaged here uh, in this season. So that's a lean for me. Then also a lean on the Giants, over 92 and a half. Uh, the Giants are legit. This is a top five offense, a top five rotation. The bullpen is a little bit of a concern, but that's what the trade deadline is for. And I think Farhan Zaidi and the front office there with the Giants will make some smart, savvy acquisitions. You've still got the Rockies and the Diamondbacks you can beat up on. And I just think that this team is very legit. I think they're a very talented team, a very good team, and a team that should get better as we go forward here. And also, too, they're a veteran team. They've got a lot of guys that have put up sample size in the past. I think some teams will struggle with that, with you know having 700 plate appearances, 180 innings, all of that. The Giants have a lot of guys that have been through this grind before. So I think that's something that could help them a little bit in the second half as well. So Mariners under 80 and a half, Braves under 82 and a half, Rangers under 66 and a half, Nationals over 78 and a half, and then the Leans, Tigers over, Cardinals under, Giants over. Take a look at your sports books. See if you have some of those adjusted season win totals. See if there are some other ones that you like. I think those are really good betting opportunities here for the second half. Preview of the weekend is kind of difficult to do because a lot of teams have not set their rotations yet for their weekend series. Lots of to-be-determined, unannounced, not sure, all of that. As teams get back together for workouts here today, managers will have media availability and will say what they're going to do with their rotations here after the All-Star break. But just looking in general at the three series that I've got listed here, the Red Sox and the Yankees, it always matters more when these two teams get together. My guess is that the Yankees rotation will set up as Jordan Montgomery, Jamison Tyon, Garrett Cole, Nestor Cortez. The Red Sox have already announced Eduardo Rodriguez, Martin Perez, Nate Uvalde, and Nick Pavetta. So Pavetta going on Sunday night baseball here. The Red Sox go to Buffalo where they'll take on Toronto. The Yankees are off on Monday. We'll see what happens here with this series. The the Red Sox pitching staff, as I mentioned in the article today, since June 3rd, has fallen off quite significantly. Their home run to fly ball percentage is up a lot since that foreign substance crackdown. Wouldn't be all that surprising if they were into some shenanigans with Alex Cora as the manager. I think a lot of people are kind of looking for the Red Sox to sort of fall off a little bit here. We'll see what happens in this series if the Yankees can capitalize. I think these two teams, despite having decent records and despite being you know very uh, notorious teams, very much, you know, out there in the open. I don't know if there's going to be a whole lot to bet on in this series. I may not take too much of a look at the games in that series, but of course we'll see how the Yankees set up their rotation and how those games are lined. The Brewers and the Reds here, Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta, probably the trio for the Brewers in this series. I don't know that for sure, but I would assume with the importance of playing the Reds here, you've got to throw your three best in some way, shape, or form. Now, Burns did throw two innings in the All-Star game, so maybe he doesn't get the start until Sunday. I guess we'll kind of have to wait and see how all of that plays out. But I'm thinking Woodruff, Peralta, Burns is probably the way that Milwaukee goes here. And the Reds, again, big, important series for them. I think you go Castillo, Gray, and Mayo. You know, maybe maybe they work Miley in there, but huge series. The Reds are at home where their offensive projection is much higher. Will we see Cincinnati steam in this series? Can you bet against Woodruff, Peralta, and Burns 
just because of Cincinnati's home offense. I don't know. Fascinating series. I want to see how this one sets up. But I do think for both of these teams, with the magnitude of this three-game series, you've got to throw your best. So it should be a whole lot of fun there. Lastly here, the Astros and the White Sox. So all of the Astros skipped the All-Star game. Now, Michael Brantley, Jose Altuve, Ryan Presley, uh, Carlos Correa, although Correa on the COVID IL list anyway. But the Astros played the White Sox not that long ago. It was about maybe three, four weeks ago. They swept Chicago down in Houston, won that series combined 27 to 8. So what happens here where the Astros, you know, as we saw throughout most of the first half, they stepped up. When they were playing good teams, they stepped up. When they're playing bad teams, they were about a 500 team. Well, they're playing a very good team here in Chicago. The White Sox have not yet named their rotation, but it looks as though the Astros will go with McCullers, Odorizzi, and Valdez coming out of the All-Star break. So very interesting series here. I think for Chicago, you know, you're going to cruise to the division. You can beat up on the teams in your division, but can you step up in class and play well? And the last time they played Houston, they did not play well at all. So I'll be curious to see how this series is lined and if Chicago kind of makes a stand here after what happened to them in that series down in Houston. So the first weekend after the All-Star break is not one that I enjoy betting a whole lot. You know, think about when you come back from a vacation. Are you in work mode? Are you ready to go? No, not really. So don't really love betting a lot of volume coming out of the All-Star break. And also, too, something to keep in mind here is that we are going to wind up with starting pitchers that haven't pitched in 9, 10, 11 days. It's sort of like the start of the season where you make that last spring training start. Then maybe you get skipped because of off days, something like that. Well, a lot of these guys, by the time they pitch, they won't have pitched since before the all-star break. So we could be talking about team skipping guys. We could be talking about, depending on how off days fall, we could be talking about guys not having pitched in eight, nine, 10 days. How sharp are those guys going to be? I think that's a really big question mark. So I generally give it a little bit of time coming out of the all-star break. We'll see what the prices look like. And things were going very well with the picks for the last basically three, four weeks or so. So we'll see what happens. But as I said, I wouldn't be shocked if I've got you know a lower volume of plays here coming out of the all-star break, just because we've got everybody getting back to work, the uncertainty of the trade deadline, big gaps between starts, all these kinds of things. So a lot of considerations as always, but I guess we'll just have to see what the odds look like as they get posted here for the Friday card. Head on over to ATS.io. Check out my college football content, my power ratings, some season win total stuff. Going to maybe do some stuff on head coaches here soon and try to work a little bit more on the NFL, which that season uh, coming up very, very quickly here. And I saw the Hall of Fame game is like 20-something days away. So, yeah, it never ends in this business. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. I'll be back again on Monday with another edition of the Betters Box. Email me, skatingtripods at gmail.com if you want to get on the list for the betters box show notes and remember that you will never strike out when you're in the betters box